This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexanian. All right, everyone, welcome back to Fans on the Run. I'm your omnipotent host, Ethan Alexanian. That is my name. That is how you say it. Um, I, I you know, I've been trying not to, but I'm, I'm going to break the fourth wall again with this show. Uh, I think this is going up, I'm not sure when in August, but... I'm I'm recording this at 10:35 as of right now and I am a little tired so if I'm not, if I'm not on my A game today please feel free to leave a comment below telling me how much of a, of a bad job I did today. Can I comment? Yes, you can comment, Charles. Before you go, never apologize before a show. No one will ever know you're tired. Everyone will think, oh, my God, this was the best show you did. It's like walking on stage and saying, hi, guys, my voice isn't 100% tonight, but I'm going to do it. Never apologize. Never let them know. <laughs> I, I'm too honest. I'm too honest, <laughs> mystery guest. <laughs> so anyways, we've already had one interruption from the mystery guest. How would you describe yourself? As an interrupter. No, no. How would I describe myself? Wow. It's got like a lot of slashes for every hat I wear. Uh, I'm a, a and you do wear many hats. I do, I do. A music producer, a Beatles convention organizer, a tour operator, um, uh, an entrepreneur, an impresario. I, I, uh, That's a good one, impresario. I love that word, right? That's a great word. Um, I... I, uh, I I'm a scare master at haunted houses. I do Dracula tours. I do beetle tours. I do ghost tours, um, monkeys conventions, beetles conventions, uh, just, you know, a whole lot of fun stuff. Well, that, that beats the introduction I have written. I want to hear yours. Come on. <laughs> uh, he's the founder of Liverpool productions. He's a Beatles convention pioneer, and he's the creator of the good day sunshine fan magazine. Would you please give a warm welcome to Charles Rosene? Charles, Welcome to Fans on the Run. Uh, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. You were clapping, so I'm going to clap too. Awesome. It was mutual clap society going on. <laughs> yeah. The Village Green Clapping Society. <laughs> Little kinks for you. Caught it. I caught the reference. So, Charles, how are you doing this fine day? I'm great. Uh, last night I went to sleep around four o'clock, but I slept till noon. So my timing is pretty good right now. I'm really awake. Uh, um, just, you know, uh, doing this COVID, mostly staying at home, going yeah. out, you know, a little bicycling, a little, a little jogging, a little hiking with my family. But uh, the, the time that I've spent alone over the past few months has been really good. When my family goes to sleep, I was finishing a book. Uh, which, you know, has been in the works for many years. People always said, Charles, when are you going to write your Beatles book? When are you going to write your life story? I did neither of those, Ethan. I wrote a book uh, from, uh, I compiled 100 celebrities, top 10 favorite horror movies. Oh. And I'm going to release that uh, hopefully in time for Halloween. So in a few months uh, or Christmas by the latest. And it's got a lot of Beatle connections in it too. We've got uh, Pete Best in there, Tony oh. Bramwell, John Lennon's sister, Julia, a slew of rock stars, but it's mostly pop culture people from the 60s right up to now. And they gave me their top 10 horror lists, put it together with their bios, with their photo and uh, some interesting choices, a really 
really great fun book that's going to be out. So the next time we talk, hopefully I'll have a have a picture of that to show to show you as the creepy music played in the background for a second. <laughs> I, I don't usually have, you know, background music on this show, but, you know, I guess, you know, when in Rome. Yeah, some of these guys have like, you know, their or, own like In this music case, more intro. like when in Transylvania. Or Liverpool, depending on, you know, where we're touring. Now, I, I bring up Liverpool and it's really sad because I've been doing the Beatle tours to Liverpool since 1983. We go every summer for Beatle Week. We do it uh, in conjunction with Cavern City Tours and Beatle Week. Go to the Cavern, go to Strawberry Field, Penny Lane, every possible place. And this is the first summer we're not doing it. And it really sucks. Oh. I, I, I've made some friends in Liverpool through the podcast, so I want to go back to Liverpool, too. So, so you have been there, yes? I have been there before. Have you been there during Beatle Week? I have not been there during Beatle Week. So you'll come with us. Good. Okay. So that's a, a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother dimension. It's like going to Memphis during, you know, Elvis's birthday week or his, the week of his passing. The whole city comes alive as if it's not already all Beatles in Liverpool, uh, yeah. even more so during, Be during Beatle week. Yeah. It, it's not like you can walk through the streets of Liverpool and not notice anything Beatles. Like the Beatles never heard of them. Right. Well, what's interesting is, you know, before you were born and I uh, started taking the trips to Liverpool and started bringing fans, uh, Liverpool didn't really embrace the um, Beatles as much as they did now and how they've realized, you know, the importance of the Beatles uh, economically and socially yeah. and for so many reasons. But for a while there, you know, uh, it was like they left us, you know, why didn't, you know, they're out of here. We're not, we don't need to celebrate the Beatles anymore. We'll celebrate our history of the docks and of our, you know, our real being the second greatest city in, in England and all that. But, you know, it took a few, a few minutes there for them to realize the potential of Beatles tourism and the Westernization of Beatle fans coming over. And now it's of course a multi-million dollar, probably billion dollar, uh, industry, but um, there was a time when we walk around and it was very difficult to Beatles sites and Beatles. You knew where they actually were. Mm -hmm. So you were doing these Beatles tours, you know, way before they were in vogue. Yes. Yeah. So um, the cr chronology is I uh, in 77, I was still in school and I thought, you know, I want to do a Beatles convention in Connecticut. There were some in Boston, some in New York and nothing in between. And I was in between. So I thought, let's do a Beatles convention in total naivety and not knowing now how much work goes into it. Um, and it grew and it became successful. And I was doing conventions in, in Connecticut, in Miami, in upstate New York, in Seattle, in uh, Japan, all over the place. And I thought, Japan. wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was bringing uh, Beatle bands to Japan and all that. And it was really cool. Um, and I'm just, you know, still a teenager doing all that stuff. And what was really amazing was that um, I'd gotten so many friends from the networking of these uh, conventions and these events in so many places that I was writing letters and letters. It was, there was no internet. There's no emails. There's no faxes and texts. So I thought, wait, I can't write to everybody. Let me just do a, a fanzine and uh, 
1980, I had planned, you know, to do a, a Beatles magazine. There were a few out there already that were great. Some were very newsy. Some were very, you know, um, goofy. And I thought, well, I want it to be newsy with personality. Because um, I know at the time there was uh, Strawberry Fields. Strawberry Fields Forever, which was Joe Pope, which was, um, it was just genius. The, it was the best Beatles fanzine in history. Um, and then shortly after that became a Beatle fan, which yeah. is like a pro zine that's the one uh not so much a fanzine as a professional zine with news and hard facts and articles so i wanted to be that in between just like i wanted to be the in-between convention between new york and boston i wanted to be that fanzine that was that a lot of personality but gave a lot of news and great articles and photos and um that really was a, a great offshoot so doing that i was able to keep in touch with all the fans that I couldn't keep in touch with on a daily basis through either long distance phone calls or through um, actual writing letters. So the fanzine was sort of, you know, a way to keep in touch with everybody, but having that also really opened a lot of doors. So I'd be going to Liverpool and I'd be interviewing people like Alan Williams and Pete Best mm -hmm. and, and uncle Charlie and uh, Harry Graves and all these people from the Beatles history, most of whom are no longer with us, Alistair Taylor. And, you know, I can go, on and on and it was just a pleasure but they all loved to talk about it and in those days they weren't swamped with podcasts and they didn't give endless interviews and write books so it was for fans coming over then to to liverpool uh in 83 or 84 85 in those in those early days of the conventions and the festivals and us going there what was really great is that um we were able to meet all those people and hang with them and have you know, we, we had a dance party with Mona Best, you know, Pete Best's mom at the Casbah. I mean, just imagine the stuff that, you know, we were able to do in those days before it got too commercial. So we did, started the fanzine then in 81, started the tours in 83, and um, still at it, uh, like, you know, when, when I can do fun stuff, still doing it and still, you know, bringing in the fans, uh, hopefully quality events. Uh, you meant... Or you have a very strong Liverpool connection. And I, I've asked uh, our guests from Liverpool. Everyone seems, and you already mentioned him, everyone seems to have an Alan Williams story. What is your Alan Williams story? Great question. So Alan and I hit it off really well the first time I came to Liverpool. One of my dearest friends at the time was a, a gent named Mike Strito who went to Liverpool a year or two before. Mike is a drummer in a group called the Hoffners. Uh, he's a Beatles guy. And um, he had gone to Liverpool a year or two before I did. And Alan was his tour guide. Oh, so wow. I started doing the conventions. Mike said, well, I've got his number. I've got, let's bring him over. And sure enough, we brought him over to uh, Connecticut in 81 for a Beatles, uh, the New England Beatles convention in uh, Connecticut, New London, Connecticut. We also had him in Philly. We had him in a few places, but my best story, uh, Alan would get a little, you know, once in a while, he'd, you oh, know, get a little. Uh, so I've right? been told. Um, and at the convention, I guess, you know, he was at the bar before it was time for him to speak. And I had orders that no way was he to be at the bar until after his appearance. You know, he could be there all night, you know, because he could drink. Well, I guess a girl asked a really dumb question and he um, he lashed out at her on the stage and called her some really choice words and everyone was like, oh my Lord, no. But my funnier story is 
Uh, he was tight with my mom. And for some reason, he hit it off with my parents, as did Pete Bennett, who was uh, the Apple uh, promo guy. For some reason, some of these people really hit it off with my parents more than I did, more than me. Maybe because I was this young kid punk doing these conventions. And, you know, my parents were more of their uh, generation. But um, Alan uh, came over and he would... Uh, I he, my mom gave him the best meal, cooked him an amazing meal. And uh, something came up about one of our toilets was stuck back or flooded. I don't know what it was at the time. And he said, well, I was a plumber at one point. Let me have a look at it. Before we knew it, he was elbow deep in the toilet, fixing our toilet. And sure enough, it flushed, and uh, he we had to shower him off. But Alan, you know, slept over my friend's house, but he fixed my toilet. So that's my Alan story. And uh, years later, he we would come to Liverpool, and he would send home chocolates to my mom, which was unheard of because Alan, you know, was out a lot, very out for himself and would want the things given to him. So for him to give to others was very, very special. Uh, I, I, I bought a mug once with his face on it. And he was always called the man who gave the Beatles away. Yeah. And the mug was the mug who gave the Beatles away, meaning his mug, yeah. his face. He was a character uh, and he was a bigger than life uh, Welsh Liverpudlian. I love the guy. And, you know, you'll hear crazy stories, but they're all told with a smile and they're all told with a little love because Alan was very, very lovable when he wasn't too, too smashed. Yeah. So I'm going to take things right back. When did you first discover the Beatles? Wow. Even my first memory in life was seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan show. Really? And uh, yeah, whenever I do a Beatles interview, that's my answer. When I do a horror interview, my answer is my first memory in life is watching Bride of Frankenstein on New York television. But no, seriously, I, I, I saw at the Ed Sullivan show and God, I wanted to be a Beatle. And I said, Mom, how can I be a Beatle? You can't be a Beatle, you know? And I, kids growing up at that well, point. Who says you can't be a Beatle? Well, yeah, that's right. There's a few you know, vacancies now. You know, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think um, the men, the boys, the fellas wanted to grow up and be Beatles. And the gals wanted to marry them or sleep with them. You know, so there was the two ends of things. And in those days, you can say that. You can't say that nowadays, so I won't. But in those days, I, I just remember running around our um, playground saying, I'm a Beatles fan. Like, you're like, wow, so what? You know, who wasn't at that time? But it was like, uh, like saying, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be a scientist. I'm a Beatle fan. And I'm going to, you know, that's my life. And it turned out to be my life. <laughs> I would never have guessed that my love for the Beatles, uh, seeing them in Aunt Sullivan and, and standing in front of the black and white TV with my grandma's uh, ukulele and holding it in my left hand because I wanted to be Paul and just imitating what I was seeing as at the, this little picture just jumping around, you know, lip syncing before lip syncing was a thing uh, to all the Beatles songs. So that, that's really when I began. And my parents were really great. I keep mentioning my folks, but they, uh, did, they didn't throw out anything, which is, you know, unheard of for those days because everyone would throw out their picture sleeves and keep the record or play the heck out of the record and put the sleeve on the wall. Or, you know, I've heard people break off the broomstick handle, take that in the wall and put the 45s on that. Right. <laughs> or I if had they a... were careful, they would e use one of those disco cases. 
disco cases is what I had. I had a bunch of the disco cases and I kept the 45s in there and I pretty much hung up the, the sleeves. I hung them up gingerly. Fortunately, you know, I still have them. I still have the 45s from back then and all the albums and every permutation, the mono, the promo, the stereo, every version of them all. And uh, the question is, happened? did yep. you get a butcher when it See, came out? my next sentence so the selling of my first butcher cover helped finance the first beatles convention i think i sold it for just like 400 bucks and uh that's really that covered probably the band at the time um i've since gotten other butcher covers yeah but the first one i ever had went to um yeah subsidizing financing the first beatles convention i did now you said 400 dollars hmm was it, you know, first, second, third state? I don't remember. I do remember that at the time I thought, man, this is a lot of money. I'm getting more than I would have ever thought I could ever get for a Beatles collectible. You know, in those days I collected the Beatles. I collected monsters. I collected comic books, baseball cards. I never would think of selling anything. But, you know, my, my folks uh, were very instrumental in loaning me money. I'm still in school, still trying to be, you know, some, some, some big shot of a producer. And they're financing me as much as I could. But I thought if I sold some stuff, it showed a lot. It showed that I was mature enough to part with something that was very valuable and probably is worth so much more now hmm. anyway. Um, but I don't remember if it was first date or second. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, it's a good oh, question. It's, it's all the semantics of it. So what was the first album you remember having? Probably either introducing the Beatles or meet the Beatles. Yeah. Um, what I do remember was probably 67 going to uh, the two big stores in New York at the time where you would buy records was Alexander's or Corvette's. Those Corvettes. were two department stores. And I remember going there and I guess mystery tour had just come out or pepper. I can't remember, but I was getting the beat. I wanted to beat Obs in order. And for some reason I missed out on an, the album, something new, mm-hmm. might've third album whatever and i came in with my mom and i and she says okay tell him tell him which record you want and i said something new and he pulls out mystery tour yeah, i have that okay what do you want and this was it was like an abbott and costello who's on first i said i want something new and he goes yes i'm giving you something new this is the new album this is magical mystery tour i said i have that i want the album called something new and this, you know, guy who worked behind the counter, it wasn't like going to a real record store, obviously. I guess he went in the back and he did some and he found the album and brought it out. So I have more of a memory of getting that album than I do of getting the albums that preceded it. I remember getting something, I think it was called The Beatles Story. Yeah. And it was a old gatefold album. And I was I remember being so disappointed because it wasn't songs. It was, yeah. you know, in documentary and in those days i mean you couldn't oh you know you couldn't read a review you couldn't press in you know uh, on the internet and see what the record was and i also remember the first bootleg i ever got and i don't think it was shea or hollywood bowl maybe it was atlanta i don't remember but i got in the record store brought it home and uh i was shocked that it didn't have a label on it it was just a blank label but i played it and it was great but at the end it faded out and you can hear them beginning in the next song and uh, flip it over, and it's not the same continuation. 
And I was like, oh man, this was, this is, I don't know what to do. Not realizing what a bootleg was. I just thought here's another Beatles release. And we went back to the record store and made a big stink. This is a defective pressing. And they wouldn't take it back because they said, no, we can't take this particular record back. It's not a regular release. You know, they were as they could without saying we're selling bootlegs to you. Um, and I remember saying, well, we'll take exchange. I exchanged it for probably bought a monkey's album or something else at the time. But I wish I kept it because in retrospect, it was probably a more valuable bootleg on vinyl that um, just ran out because the tape probably ran out of whoever bootlegged it. So there's some, you know, early stories of purchasing records that really stick in my mind. So do you have any particular favorite memories from the early days of doing Beatle conventions? Well, sure. I mean, you know, the great thing was um, the guests. And uh, I think it was mid-80s or early 80s. We're doing a convention and we found out that Richie Havens of Woodstock fame, um, who's a big Beatle fan and covered a lot of Harrison songs and was, was just releasing an album of Beatles and Dylan. And somehow we didn't reach out to him, but they reached out to us and said, Richie would like to come and promote his, his CD or record or whatever it was at the time. Can you do that? And I'm like, no, of course. Yeah, of course you can do it. I want you here. And he came in and prior to that, I had done, you know, your most basic of interviews, the Pete Bests, Horst Fasher, you know, people who I really, really knew as I, you know, as a Beatle brain, I really knew at the time, I forgot most everything, um, every, every question to ask, and I would know what the fans would ask, and I'd ask, you know, a half hour of that, and then I'd open up the questions a half hour to um, the audience. Um, for Richie Havens, uh, really found out about it a day or two before the event, you're producing a convention you don't have time to research mm -hmm. and i pretty much brought him on stage uh, i was like thank you for being here started asking about woodstock so i asked about his love of the beatles and it was the most natural interview and he was such a wonderful guest and um and then uh he has guitar behind him and i said you have your guitar behind you is that for any particular in the reason the reason you might have brought it says thank you for asking he plays a half hour impromptu uh beatles woodstock handsome johnny all his great stuff and uh, that's the first memory of me realizing that i was like you a good interviewer and i've since had the pleasure of interviewing you know all the monkeys and david cassidy and really a lot of cool people through the years um, but unlike what, what you're doing, which is very special, I was able to do it in front of an audience. And I love being in front of an audience. My, um, my origination of that was uh, college radio. And college radio bored me because I thought I was talking to glass walls. And, you know, you don't get the feedback. Um, and I became a mobile DJ, a party DJ for the love of being in front of a crowd. So you give me a microphone and I'm just, you can tell, I'm not shy, that I yeah. just... I, run with it so um that was when i think i first that was a great convention memory because it's when i first realized that um i was capable of doing that the other memory that comes to mind is um probably mid mid 90s uh, we had the concept was i was going to have uh mccartney lennon and harrison at my convention how uh Angie McCartney and Ruth McCartney, uh, Louise Harrison, and Cynthia Lennon. 
Well, Louise bowed out for whatever reason, but we had Cynthia and she was oh, such a great guest and we became very close friends. And I think May Pang might've been at that convention. Joey Molland was at the convention. A bad um, finger. Yeah, yeah. And I had a bunch of them on stage and I just kept bringing it out and the crowd was like, whoa, this is unbelievable, this is history. Cynthia's up there and Joey Molland's up there. And, and then I go, and now ladies and gentlemen, Yoko Ono and the crowd stands up and they're going wild. I go, sit down, shut up, come on, you know she's not here. And you know, that was that was, so that was a good memory. I remember um if it was May, she was like her mouth dropped. Uh Joey Molland was like clapping, where is he? And Cynthia, who someone had given her flowers, was picking up the flowers to give to Yoko just in case. I remember, you know, the 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 fit, three things that went on on the stage with my guests at that time. Uh, that's what stuck stuck in mind. So those are just a few of the memories I have of uh, conventions and convention guests. Um, this is this is a bit of an existential question. What do the Beatles mean to you? <coughs> Oh, gosh. They mean... They mean happiness. They mean freedom. Mean, um, emotions. Wow, you got me serious. You got me from that extrovert, showbert, show business uh, personality to the, to the introspective. You know, I, I, I get upset. I'll be honest. You're a true fan, and and I love the fact that you're you know a little younger than me, and you love the Beatles I think, as much as much as I do. Um, and what upsets me is if I ever hear the Beatles are overrated, I just want to take my back scratcher and I want to smack them in the head because the Beatles are underrated. It's it's perfection, Ethan. It's the stars aligned at the right time with the right people. I mean, just looking at the four, the, the three of them with Ringo behind them, it just, you know, nothing has come close and nothing ever will. People say, you know, I love, I love the Beatles up here and then I love the monkeys here. And then everyone else is down there, you know, the Supremes, the Four Seasons, uh, Gary Puckett, whoever comes to mind. It's mostly 60s, you know, although Michael Jackson and, and Prince and Adam Ant and Boy George. The monkeys and a lot of are that high? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I'll tell you why. It's a very good question because other people have asked me this because I've been a, a monkey's uh, defender for many years and an apologist when I had to be. I'm but, not uh, insulting the monkeys. I love the monkeys. You're just surprised. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. But um, for me, when Pepper came out, young guy, don't forget, I'm you know, still a kid um, at the time. And I'm getting this. I'm looking at this album and there's no hits on this album. Mm -hmm. no, love you. Yeah. There's no, there's no there's single. No, I don't know the album, and I'm still listening to AM radio. I'm still listening to Cousin Brucie or Dan Ingram or all these legends of you know of New York radio. Man, Jack or what have you? Right, exactly. And they're not playing. They're not playing uh, within you without you. <laughs> they're not playing. Uh, getting better. They perhaps they should have, but I was listening to Daydream Believer and I was listening to, you know, uh, Let's Dance On and all the monkey stuff. And so, um, you know, for the same reason that the Archies and Bubblegum and every type, uh, Harper Valley PTA, I'm a soulmate, whatever was 60s um, AM hits, 
that's what I gravitated to. And that's what I was listening to. And it took me a while, you know, to understand that there was FM radio and there was more cerebral music and getting into college. When I got into college, I was like, yeah, of course I discovered Pepper. And of course it's the greatest album of all time, but it took me a while. Wow. I was behind. We'll yeah, get was... to that part. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I have yeah, opinions so... on that statement. Okay, please share. Well, well, we'll get to the part. There's going to be, I'm going to ask you some questions. About... Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, so in your opinion, why did the Beatles still matter now? Um, they matter on different levels. And they matter because um, they were an important part of a world that needed them, that needed it. I wish there could be a Beatles now. The world needs a Beatles now. You know, the world, uh, there's a lot of a lot of uncool things happening. And um, for some reason, the Beatles seemed to unify a world that needed unification, perhaps because of Kennedy's death, perhaps because uh, the world was changing and, you know, things for segregation. So many reasons, so many reasons. But... Um, they were important at their time, but um, their music was the be beyond all. You know, people would always ask me in interviews through the years, uh, why the Beatles? You know, why not the Turtles? I mean, so it was three things for me. It was the memories, right, which is a nostalgic factor for someone who lived through it, uh, or who lived through it maybe through a sibling or a parent if they're a little younger. So it was that first M was the um, the uh, memories. The second thing was the music. So that's above all and beyond all, and nothing has ever come close. And how that much output could be so different, mm -hmm. and how every release after it could be so much more brilliant. And it just got better and better. And Especially more... when you take into uh, count, or uh, you take into consideration the fact that it all came out within seven years right right i mean you look at the yeah it's just it's mind-boggling so it was the memories the music and then it was the third m was was the magic and that was an x factor that i can't describe and i can't explain and i mean how do you explain how do you explain magic? You can't. It's just beyond, you know, uh, earthly belief. It's just, again, I'll, I'll say the stars all aligned together, the right time, with the right talent, with the right harmonies, with the right songwriting, with the right personalities. Just everything about it was uh, was perfection. You know, the, and, the stars uh, aligned to have, you know, those four people on the earth at the same time in the same city. Right, right. With such unbelievable talent. You know, let's fast forward to the Beatles breakup. And, you know, we didn't have internet. So it took a while before I heard that the Beatles had broken up. And uh, I just remember people saying, are, are you broken up over this? I mean, are you and I thought, which was really a strange thinking. And I don't know, a lot of people thought this. I thought, oh, right. So we're going to be getting four albums a year instead of one. Because in my mind, White Album was just four different guys, you know, playing on each other's records. And I thought, I thought, well, maybe this is actually a great thing. 
and I was in the minority, but you know, the fact that they never got back together, but they continued to produce such amazing music, even after um, their careers together, you know, that the Ringo, you know, I love, I love Sentimental Journey and Vocal Blues, but then the Ringo album came out and then all of George's <laughs> All Things Must Pass, you just go down the line and everyone just put out amazing stuff and their catalog just continue to be, oh, just, it's mind blowing. That's the fourth M. So we'll go with memories, music, magic, and mind blowing because we can talk forever about the Beatles on so many levels on, on a, um, on an educational level, but it's all in the heart and it's all in the heart. And I think it's been in the heart of just so many people for so many years. I, I just don't want anyone to ever take for granted. And that's why I love when the, the yesterday movie came out and introduced new fans to the, to the Beatles or Beatles rock band a few years before, or the love show in Vegas. You know, that was always the, in the back of my mind, you know, why do I do a convention? Why do I do the tours? Why do I do anything? was to keep that spirit alive. And, and thank goodness, there's so many Beatle bands doing that. You know, there's more and more festivals. And, uh, you know, every town has their, their own, you know, Beatlemania group doing it. And people say, you know, who's who are the best Beatle bands? You know, and I can list, you know, 10 off the top of my head. But it, there's not a bad Beatle band. Just there's as no long such... as the bands are have members that have appeared on this show. There you go. Which there thus go. far is just 1964, the tribute and the Fab yeah. Four. Oh, so we got to get you Rain. We got to get you um, uh, the Fab Four. We got to get you. There's 15 different versions of Beatlemania, the cast of Beatlemania. Well, Beatlemania I have. Man. I'm in the talks with certain members of the original Broadway cast of Beatlemania. Oh, great! For great. interviews. For all, you know what, Mitch. Joe, Leslie, are just, they're all great guys. They're good friends. And um, there was one year you were talking about convention memories. A friend of mine, Steve Landis, who was one of the last Lennons in Beatlemania before it closed. I think he joined it in his teens, 17, 18, whatever. So we were friends. He came on my Beatles tour and he said, um, well, let's put together a band for your next convention. And I go, okay, but it's got to be, you know, I want to pick it. Because prior to that, we had Tom Tealy from Beatlemania. We had Lenny Colaccino. We had a lot of great Beatlemania guys. But I said, if you're the Lennon, let's get you, Mitch Weissman, Leslie Fratkin, and Justin, and we'll call it the All-Star Beatlemania group or something like that. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, we had that. And at that convention, what was really great is they all interviewed each other because we did a convention video. So you have Mitch Weissman interviewing Steve Landis, Steve Landis interviewing Leslie. There was really special. So that's one of the band memories I forgot about. And you brought up uh, the original members of Beatlemania. Well, oh, now I want to interview more than one. <laughs> I was just talk with the one. Now I want to get yeah. all four of them for. Now, I would watch that. I would love to hear that. A, they have great stories. They the reunion stories. of the original cast of Beatlemania. Not a Beatles reunion, but an incredible simulation trademark so once you get that done you get the broadcast then you got to get the first la cast exactly incredible simulations right and then you got to get the album cast yeah. and then the sh the the yeah, anyway, it goes on forever and, the and British I'm glad cast which became the bootleg beatles how did you know that that's right and the bootleg beatles are phenomenal oh. they played on many of our beatle tours they're well, a great band the bootleg beatles 
you know, one of them joined the Fab Four. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And one of them, there's another history. I'm trying to remember what the other history is. But Bootleg Beatles, yeah, they, they were one of the first of the um, British super Beatle bands. There was a group called Mojo Filter who did the Cavern Years Only in Leathers. And then there was Bootleg Beatles. Uh, since then, there's so many other there's great Beatles. One that I, I don't remember the name of the group, but I remember... There was a John Lennon by the name of uh, Gary Gibson, who was yeah. particularly good. So Gary um, has played in Fab Forever. He played it. His first group was called Cavern. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he, he's probably one of the best John Lennon lookalikes, soundalikes. Yeah. I think it was I saw a video of him at one of the uh, 80s Beatle Fests with Cavern. Very possibly. Um He's he was on um, one of those talent shows in England. Yeah, it's you know, I believe it was Star called Stars in Their Eyes. That's exactly I've, right. I've seen the clip. We mentioned uh, Mike Strito earlier, a friend of mine. He uh, drummed with with Gary Gibson in a super group, and they played in. A, they had residency in Vegas for a while, um, and uh, Gary's good. He is good. He looks like him. And uh, when I first met him in the early '80s, uh, he you know. My mouth dropped. This is that was a clone. You know, there's a handful of those, like Mitch Weissman, like Gavin. There's a few that are just you know so spot on that you know some sound like them, some yeah. look like, but some you know when they got it right together, it's like wow. There's a the, the original drummer from 1964, uh, Greg George. Greg you know, there's George. some that that are really just spot on lookalikes and soundalikes, which make it really great. Well, he was in another group, which was considered one of the primo Beatles tribute bands, I think back in the 90s, the Mop Tops. Yeah, the Mop Tops was good. Um, uh, there was another, that was um, oh, Joe, Joe yeah, somebody's. Joe somebody. Stefanelli? Yeah. Stefanelli, exactly right. Joe Stefanelli. But um, somebody else played Ringo in that group more, much more than, uh, Greg did. Mm -hmm. uh, Carmine Grippo yeah. was, think, the, was most Ringo in that band. I think Greg is, I don't know if he's still with Liverpool Legends, but I know he, he joined them after he left 64. And maybe four lads from Liverpool with Jimmy Poe. I yeah. think he's been with that as well. Yeah, well, yeah Jimmy Poe's another ex-1964 guy. And ex-Beatlemania. Yeah. L.A. Beatlemania. Uh, there's a famous clip, if you could find it somewhere, of Larry David with uh, Mitch Weissman. Yeah, and I've seen Pop that. Yeah, as Beatlemania and him being the <laughs> yeah. hysterical. That's hysterical. He's filling Ralph in for John Lennon. Exactly. Ralph Castelli is also an amazing, uh, was amazing Ringo from Rain. There's some that are just, you know, legendary. Well, uh, Rain... Uh, before they were, you know, the, the lookalike band, they mm -hmm. were, I, I know they did the soundtrack to yes. that TV movie, The Birth of the Beatles, which yes. when you listen to it now, it's shockingly accurate for 1978 or nine when it came out. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ, these guys were on fire. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been around a very long time and they were, um, they were a fivesome where a keyboard player was kind of off stage and he managed them and did all that. And they've evolved into that highest level. Yeah. You know, they've shot up way to the top. They've got the Broadway, they've got the touring. Deservedly. So they had, you know, an A and a B and a, probably a C group at some point. Um, 
but you know, when you, you're talking about some of the best of the Beatle bands in the world, and, and uh, I'm proud that they've come to Liverpool and played in Liverpool. And I think what happens is if you mention some individual names, which I've done, shame on me, uh, whether it's bands or individuals, I have so many friends who are so great and, and, and are Beatle people uh, and Beatle, you know, players that if I leave some out, I know I'm going to regret it after it's all said and done. But once I get started, I get so excited because these guys are so great and they've done it for so long. And even the people who've never been in Beatlemania, you know, your, your Mark Benson. Yeah. From well, 1964. Mark Benson, I have to give a special mention to, he's been on the show there, there's a very strong family connection there with the 1964. Um, mm -hmm. You know, family members were, or there was a relative of mine who was their sound man in the late oh, no. 80s. I knew some of the, I knew the road guy who would hook up the sound and all that, and I forgot his name, and I loved him very much. Yeah. He always reminded me of, of, uh, of, um, uh, Penn Jillette, I forgot his name, yeah. but anyway, that's what I thought you were mentioning. But you know those those sixty four guys, like I I could never sing their praises enough. You know, Mark and uh, Gary Grimes. Yeah, Gary you know, was really so special. It so was, special. As of recording this right now, it was his birthday a couple days ago, and I I saw some posts on Facebook, you know, and even though I I never met the guy. Like, I feel like I've met him. Well, you know what? Mark Benson is the Lennon of the group, and Gary was the Paul of the group. Mm -hmm. And they were very, very special to me and very good to me. They played a bunch of my Connecticut Beatle conventions for a fraction of what they would have gotten paid normally. And um, I think I was involved um, in supporting them in some way. I can't remember quite what it was, but it was involved with Apple and the legalities of using um, Beatles music and coming out and portraying the Beatles. They well, were. Tell me about Mark. that. I want to hear about that. Getting involved you know, or dealing I, with Apple. I don't remember. I dealt with Apple a few times. Once uh, I was going to show the Beatles at Shea at Shea Stadium, mm -hmm. and they stopped me and said, "You don't have the rights to it." And I said, well, "I don't, wasn't I'm not going to make money on it. It's an anniversary of Shea. I happen to have a 16 millimeter print. I was just going to show it, and." Um, they stopped me and I didn't. In those days, you see, there wasn't a, there wasn't a mentality of whatever goes on will support the Beatles and keep them alive and sell records. There were lawyers and the lawyers had a job to do. And that job was to find things to stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what their job was. Otherwise, they weren't getting paid and they weren't doing their job if they couldn't find people to sue or, or to put a cease and desist on. And, you know, that's why some conventions had to change their names. Oh, yeah. um, as far as uh, 1964, if I remember correctly, the lawsuit was um, resolved that a band can't use the Beatles logo on their drum with the long T. Yeah. And, and um, it couldn't be a performance that gave the history of the Beatles, but the, they could perform the music in chronological any order. They could do any cost. I don't know what the, the settlement was. And uh, to this day, no one really knows what the Beatlemania lawsuit settlement was. You know, we hear different stories mm -hmm. from different people. 
attorneys will give you a different story, uh, as, as will the, the people who represented Beatlemania, as will the Beatlemania members themselves. I think Leslie Fratkin probably has the best uh, read on exactly what happened. Uh, but it continues to this day, and thank goodness it does, and no one really clamps down on it because, again, it introduces new generations. You know, there's a band called Studio Two mm -hmm. from Massachusetts, they're great guys and they sound great and i don't think they would have been around had it not been night for 1964 you know the beatles we got 1964 1964 gave birth to studio two and hopefully studio two is going to inspire another band years from now who are going to be younger and, and have that same energy it's nice to see younger bands you know doing the beatles music because um, you know, when it's a 70 year old Beatle imitator, you know, who's wearing cakes of makeup and, yeah. you know, the, the wig, yeah, they sound great and they look great from afar. But, you know, how much longer are they going to be able to do it is a question. And some of them who, who are still phenomenal and could be going on have have hired others to take their place, mm -hmm. you know, and have and have created a um, sort of a, um, a factory line of. Beatle people who can take their place doing what they did great and hopefully as good or if not better. You know, we've seen that in some of the top bands. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. you know, the bootleg Beatles have been going since 1979 or 81 or something. It's not like they're still having the original guys who. No, no. Yeah. The original Lennon was Neil Harrison. Uh, <laughs> great name. And Neil was, is a great guy. And he um, he weaned in players as he went. You know, they went through a few different McCartneys. One of the McCartneys they had was originally in a Liverpool group called Mojo Filter, and um, you know they had a, a, they've had really great players. But when he felt it was time for him to hang it up, it was no problem. He replaced himself with a great Lennon, and you know taught him and 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 weaned him and made sure he was perfect for the role. And Neil might even still have a hand in, you know, uh, booking the band or managing the band or getting the piece of the action. There's a few American bands who have a similar situation. I don't know if they want that known, but um, mm -hmm. they're still the, in my mind, they're still the original Lennon of that band or the original Harrison or McCartney or Ringo. Yeah. Um, it seems like it was always, it was always the Lennon who would run the bands. It just seems that way. Not always the case. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, for some reason, that was always the case. It was always the McCartney who was the first one out to come and sign autographs in the band. <laughs> and it was always the Ringo who was the, the most, oh, we can't get Ringo this week. All right, we'll get a Ringo from that. Can hello, can we borrow your Ringo? We need a Ringo for next weekend. <laughs> and I guess it was the Ringo who was the most, uh, you know, easy to get for every band. So I want to hit you with some quick fire questions. Okay. What is your favorite Beatles album? My favorite Beatles album currently is Help. Really? And Which Help are we talking here? U.S. Help, <laughs> with with um, you know with all the other stuff on. I, I don't know why. I guess um, I tend to play things uh, on and on and on and on, and then I get tired of it, and I'll just shelve it. And I hadn't picked out Help in a long time, and um, it's a great transition album because it went from mop tops. Uh, it was it was the one that you know was the bridge between um, the 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 Beatles '60s pop three minute songs um, into a more sophisticated Rubber Soul and Revolver. And whereas Revolver and Rubber Soul are, are those the genius albums that all the 
you know, critics talk about straight through Pepper and, and through Abbey Road and White Album. Uh, for me, uh, Help was that also that one of those genius albums as a bridge to those. But, my, you know, for many years, my favorite people would ask, what is your favorite Beatles song? That's tough. You know, that's even tougher. Um, and for years, it was here, there and everywhere. You just then asked my next question for me. Of course I did, of course. I knew that. I saw your Chi-Chi. Um, and uh, here, there and everywhere was um, my wedding song. That and a song by Davy Jones called I Will Love You Forever were my two wedding songs. And so I thought, wow, if, it's, if I use it for a wedding song, I got to come up with another favorite Beatles song. And for the longest time, I would say, And Your Bird Can Sing, because I just love that song to death and people thought i was kidding no no they go no no really what's your favorite song you know and your bird can say no, all right but what's your favorite <laughs> and um so that was it until a couple years ago and it's my new favorite as of maybe 2015 16 is uh while my guitar gently weeps and for some reason you know i was always a paul guy i always loved paul the most i always appreciated john the most and uh, I, I took George for granted, but his music just stands up. And, you know, where if, if, if Come Together comes on or Get Back, you know, there's a few songs I'll just, okay, well, I don't know, I've heard it enough. I need to move on. But if Here Comes the Sun comes on or something or, or While My Guitar Gently Weaves, I got to listen to it and then press, press to hear it again. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, What's the third question? I gave album and I gave uh, single. Is there a, is there a follow up? Well, I was going to ask the flip side of those two questions. What is your least favorite Beatles album? I, Ethan, I don't think I have a least favorite Beatles album. Maybe solo might be Wonderwall. Um, really? I don't think I, yeah. I love the Wonderwall music album. I never play it. I never play it. It's on the same shelf as Two Virgins. Well, I just, I don't think I just that's can't. anyone's favorite. <laughs> um, I don't have a least favorite album, least favorite song. If it's it's too um, hard, you can. I there's can some even, that I'm just. I can let you cop out and pick one of those compilations. You know, rock and roll music, love songs. You know, if people have a hard time picking an album, I let them cheat. No, that's that's funny because I'm one of the few people who love the compilation albums, and I love the I love the oh. red album and the blue when they come out. I love rock and roll music. I love love songs. I'm I love those because they, they, you know, they again they continued a Beatle legacy. You know, I, I know a lot of people who only I know DJs who only had the rock and roll music album. And they would only play a handful of songs at that at every party, Twist and Shout. Um, I saw her standing there, maybe rock and roll music a handful. So a, a lot of DJs lived on those albums, like, lived on love songs. Well, you have you to know, admit, though, the cover for rock and roll music is fucking awful. I wouldn't use those words, but I would say it, 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 it could have been much more, uh, much more thought out. But that's the case of a lot of albums. There's a British, I think it's a British album called A Collection of Golden Oldies. Right, with the weird that's, drawing, with the that looks like a really bad pinball machine. That's that's probably one of the worst. But yeah, love songs and and sure enough, real music and rock and roll. All those all those had really uh, covers that left to be desired. Um, I don't mind any of those songs. I, there's no least favorite, but there are songs that I'm just tired of. And come together is the first one that comes to mind. And I know young people just eat that up. 
and everyone loves it and it's you know so genius and all that i appreciate it i'm tired of it and coincidentally uh, it's it's get back is the is the other one that really just i can't i just can't listen to it over and over and over and over those are the ones that uh that but that'll change I'll get tired of something else, I guess, and I'll get back to those eventually. Was that a pun? Thank you for picking that up, sir. Well, you, you brought up Come Together, and I'm going to practice the art of the plug and transition over to talking about John Lennon. And I hear of some sort of, uh, how do you say, tribute concert happening. Wow, you are good. You are good. Yeah. John was the only only, uh, one of the guys who I never had a close encounter with. And that came really close in uh, 1980. We had a convention in New Haven uh, and the event took place on his birthday weekend. And what we did is we created a birthday card for him. And it was, we took a bed sheet, bedspread, gigantic sheet, did a two by fours, built it up like a gigantic card had everyone who attended the convention sign it. So thousands of people signed it, uh, brought it to Guinness Book of World Records as the world's largest birthday card. And they refused it because they said it's not a card. It's a sheet on. So anyway, and then we brought it to uh, the Dakota. And we had arranged with uh, Rolling Stone magazine met us there. And John was supposed to receive the card. And an assistant came down and said, he's not around. We'll take it anyway. And so that was uh, very disappointing, very close. But anyway, in 19, no, in 2000, uh, for John's 70th birthday, no, 2010, Mm -hmm. uh, we did a tribute show called um, Imagine 70. And we had what what we thought would have been a concert John Lennon would have presented had he still been alive. Some of his Beatles stuff, solo, uh, solo stuff, Elephant's Memory stuff. And uh, did it again in 2015, mm-hmm. and we're doing it again this year. Hopefully, if we're allowed to put on the show, sold tickets, we'll do the spacing of rows, we'll do everything we need to to make it happen. But on October 9th, uh, what would have been John's 80th birthday, we're doing the show called Imagine 80, uh, which is actually um, www.rememberlennon.com. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept. It's a great uh, Lennon impersonator, uh, Scott Arch, um, who's been doing John Lennon for many, many years in his Beatlemania group. And uh, it's his band. And uh, Mitch Schechter, a great friend of mine, is in the band. who used to be in the Rip Chords. And uh, it's going to be with uh, visuals, with some exhibitors. But it's going to be a great, heartfelt event. And I just hope we don't have to postpone it because how can you postpone an event on John Lennon's 80th birthday? When are you going to have it? His 81st birthday? You're going to have it a month later. So I'm hoping that, you know, the powers that be allow it. Um, the tough part is that it's in a city hall. It's in a town hall in Norwalk, Connecticut. And we're doing it in association with the mayor's office. And it's a benefit for the Norwalk Symphony Orchestra. So the fact that it's a municipality, and it's all tied in with the town and city, um, you know, they might be very strict with, uh, with, the, with the virus. So we'll see. We're hoping to have it. And we're hoping a lot of fans are going to show up and, and have a great time. Uh, as we as we've done the previous five years and the five years before it, but yeah, the information is at www. 
uh, rememberlenin.com. And thank you for mentioning that. It's only a few months away. Uh, you can visit the website, and if tickets are still on sale, it means the event is what still on sale. What was the website sale. address again? It was www.rememberlenin.com. Just, just one more time for the listeners. Rememberlenin.com. You can't not... You can't forget Remember Lennon. Yeah. Remember Lennon.com. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's www.rememberlennon.com. Right. And while people are you know, remembering that, they can always rewind it. See, that's what's yeah. the great thing about stuff. They can just press that little thing and go back a little. And they will they can find that website. And the other website they can find is liverpooltours.com because that's where they can um, look for information on our Beatle Tours to Liverpool, which we do every August except 2000, except 2020. So hopefully we'll be back 2021. We spend a few days in London. We spend a whole week in Liverpool. And it's nonstop fun, day and night. Uh, every place you've ever read about in books, every place you've heard about in songs uh, and, and postcards, we live it. We go through it. You know, people who are of a certain age say they're going because it's on their bucket list. Other people of a certain age go because, you know, they, they realize that this is where it all began and they can walk in the footsteps of the Beatles. So uh, whether you're whether you're 10 years old or 100 years old, you got to go to Liverpool and you got to go during Beatles week and you got to go with Charles Rosenay as your host. Mm-hmm. You'll have the greatest time. Well, well, Charles, it's it's been a blast having you on. You you are a you are a firecracker. <laughs> I'll take that. I like being a firecracker. That's um, that means I'm explosive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But we've hardly talked about so many stuff, so we'll have to do this again. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. Uh, come come a few months from now when I have my book out and um, we can talk about a whole lot of other great stuff about Beatles and whatever tangential and, and, and other peripheral things come about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thank you for coming on to everyone else out there. Thank you for listening. You can go home. Dance on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.